Thanks, Paul. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I'm going to do one of the most important things. In a minute, we'll pray, but uh, second of importance is a timer. So uh, I don't go too long. So it's, uh, it's been about three and a half years since I preached and about 24 years since I stood here looking out there. So uh, thank you so much. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be with you. Well, let's uh, kick in the first slide. I'm going to do the thing you're not supposed to do as a guest speaker or any kind of speaker and turn my back on the audience, but that's because I want to continue to draw attention to this as opposed to always to me. So let's look at our first slide together, and we'll have a little interaction. We're going to mix it up. Tim gave me permission. Instead of doing the normal expository A, B, C, D, E, which is perfect in my norm, um, but we're going to be asking another form of preaching and another form of Bible study. We're going to be asking the text questions and then derive our answers from there and then summarize it all at the end. So we'll get all these answers and go, oh, and hopefully it'll connect some of the dots. The other thing we're going to do is we're going to be using a different version. I typically and traditionally in my 30 plus years of, of pastoring and preaching, I too use the ESV, but there's a it's perfect time to introduce you to another version, um, which is especially good for children, but because we're all expected to fulfill the Great Commission, so that means you're going to either go or stay and find someone that doesn't know the language very well, or your kids, or you'll run into someone who grew up in a rural area, and they may not read as well, and whether you're using the King James, or the ESV, HBSE, all these different versions, I want to introduce you to another one because it's aimed at a shorter sentence, breaking down concepts that are difficult and, and doing it in a way for someone who doesn't think in English and is trying to learn theological concepts and long sentences from Paul. And uh, so it's also helpful if you're like me and you went to bed too late one time and it's like, I want to do my devotions, but this is sounding like a chemistry book right now. And, and it's like, I switch over to this thing. It's called the New International Reader's Version. So it's the NIV, but, but simplified. It's still a decent translation. And it's really nice if you have blearied eyes and you haven't got your second cup of coffee yet. And like, Lord, please help me. Oh, good, right here. All right, so without further ado, first slide, the Great Commission. You'll see there's a question mark on the end of that. That is on purpose. So let's get started. We know what the means the great. We know what the word great means, but what is it? What's a commission? For most of us, we think of that in terms of a sales commission, real estate or car or whatever, but that's, that has nothing to do with this because the gospel is not about selling someone on a concept. We're not selling Jesus. We're not putting our best foot forward. We're not manipulating folks into making a desired outcome so we can get a notch on our belt and feel good. That's not the goal. But what a commission is, according to the Oxford's Dictionary of English, is an instruction, a command, and we're going to revisit that word, or a duty given to a person or to a group of people. So where in the world do we find in the Bible the Great Commission? Well, most of us are going to look right at the end of Matthew. We may not remember where it is, but we know it's somewhere at the very end of that book. But in truth, that phrase, that phrase we all know, and if you've been a Christian for a while, and if you're my age, you grew up here and in Sunday school, this is the Great Commission. That phrase does not exist in the Bible anywhere. 
Now, it may be above, in black letters, above some verses in your Bible, and that's okay, but that's not part of the Bible. Jesus never came up with that. He didn't coin that phrase, neither did Paul. As a matter of fact, the, the Bible was completely written in its um, fullness and accepted version sometime in the late, before 100, in the late 90s, was it all compiled in a good way? And then I know, again, 300 years, they voted on some other stuff that was all good because they needed to weed out heresy. But this, this term didn't come up until 1,000 500 years later from when we had that verse, the Great Commission. It was popularized in the 1700s and the 1800s for good reason. It was by Western missionaries in, in Western Europe and in the Americas, um, North America particularly, trying to propel people to go into what we normally think of foreign missions. So they wanted them to go east and south. And in our country, they wanted them to go west and south. So they coined this phrase that was already kind of in the vernacular a little bit, and they pushed it specifically and tightened it up and made it the way we think about it today. Great thing. But comes with the familiarity that you really can miss things because you think more about the tradition you learned in Sunday school perhaps, if you're like me, then what does the Bible really say today in our culture right now? And particularly if your gig's not evangelism, this is a verse of guilt, weakness, scared to death. I can barely spell gospel. How am I supposed to share gospel? I didn't have my devotions today, so I can't share the gospel because I just am not worthy. I, I, just, I, can't even get, I can't even talk to the guy in the next cube to me. How can I tell him he's going to burn in hell forever? So what do we do with all of that? Well, before we look at our primary text, let's look at the text that anchors this. It's the why of the Great Commission. So let's pop up John. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Anyone who believes in him will not die, but will have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to judge the world. He sent his son to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not judged, but anyone who does not believe is judged already. They have not believed in the name of God's one and only son, now, for us, that's a familiar verse for many of us here. But for John and for John's original readers, that was like, what? Even for John's original readers in the second century, when they'd already had 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John well in their Bibles, what? What's the problem? Well, it's not that God so loved. You ever felt, particularly from folks that aren't believers, the God of the Old Testament gets a bad rap. He's not very loving. What's up with all this? But see, John, there, there's not a New Testament yet when he's writing this. There's no church yet. Well, there's just a church now. And, and here we go. And he says, God so loved, and that so loved is in the original language Greek, is intense. So you can almost read it like, 
God so loved the world. He so loved the world that he gave his son to die for them. He so loved the world. He gave his one and only son who dwelt with him, happy as a clam in eternity past, before there was a human being, before there was any creation. That's who he gave. He so loved you. He gave his best. Okay. But see, they already knew that too. Here was the new concept. He so loved, he gave his best to the cosmos, the world. And the world in John's day and the world as revealed in the Old Testament and the world as explained more in the New Testament, he so loved, he was so kind, Jesus was so wonderful, the world is so wicked. In 1 John, John says, you, Christian, are not allowed to love the world. Now, how can God so love the world? And he tells us the same writer, the same inspiration of the same Holy Spirit, hadn't changed his theology between when he wrote that one and a little while later he wrote 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. He said, God so loved the world, you may not, with the same intensity, love the world. How do we, oh, there's a contradiction of the Bible right there. Okay, let's, let's deal with that. Great author uh, put this up. Let me, uh, we'll go to this next one. D.A. Carson, Carson, Christians are not to love the world with the selfish love of participating in it. Because why do we participate? We're captivated. It draws us away as an idol, away from God. We, the world is cool. I mean, when do I, the world is easy to love. It's, I'm popular when I love the, oh, let's participate in this. No. God loves the world with selfless, costly love of redemption. John's saying, why would you love something that's going away and only tears you away from God? Why would you love something that is enslaving all of humanity? Why not love we're in but not of the world? Why not love the world? Not as, oh, yeah, but as, oh, my. Why not love the world the way God does? Because he sent his son. He so loved it in all its wickedness. He so loved it that he sent his son to redeem it. And his son sent the apostles. And that continues all the way down through the son still sends me and you. And our attitude and our motive, and our motive should always match the method. This motive, this reason, should propel us forward. Now, when you hear that, you immediately kick into guiltville again. Let's just pause on that. Just, just, just pause on the guilt for just a minute. Guilt's good sometimes, but let's just, just let's let it go so you can actually hear everything without going, so what's he going to tell us to do? We all have to move to Martin. No, 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 no. Okay, so let's keep going. God 
so loved and now invites, makes possible, and here's the big word, commands us to love in that same way. Let's pray. Lord, help us, um, help me. <laughs> um, Lord, there's, there's so much baggage in so many of our heads with this verse. And there's so many expectations. Lord, help us, help me to unpack. Holy Spirit, help us. Fill us fresh. Illuminate your word. Let us learn about Jesus. And let us walk away loving the Father more. Amazed, perplexed that he would do this for us. But with that same amazement and perplexed feeling, go do what you've done to us through other human beings preaching, discipling. Lord, they obeyed that command. Let us be faithful to do that to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's check out the verse, Matthew 24. Then Jesus came to them. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, so you must go and make disciples. That's what this is about. So you must go and make disciples of all nations. Not Remember, he's, he's saying this for, Jesus is saying this first time to a bunch of disciples that were looking forward to Jesus coming back, seating himself on the throne in Jerusalem, kicking out all these stinking Romans, and just setting up the kingdom from Jerusalem. And as we learned from Christian and Tim with John and James on his right and left. So it was just going to be an awesome thing, a national church again, and off we go, yes! And Jesus goes, all nations. Not just people who look like you. Not just people who have the same ideas as you. Not people who have, as you interact with them, even the same religion as you. I'm sending you everywhere all the time. To include, and that's what I love, but he starts with starting at home. So let's, let's oh, I forgot the best part. Sorry. Here's what discipleship looks like. Baptize them. You can think of the word mark. It's actually a word that is um, very synonymous with the word tattoo. So tattoo them with a mark. Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything. This is critical. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. We'll get to that later. And here's the good news in this hostile world that God sends us into. And you can be sure that I am always with you to the very end. So if you're scared like me with that stuff, you can be sure I'm always with you, even when they mock you and call you the Jesus freak or the religious weirdo or don't talk to you anymore or you don't get invited out to eat anymore or you don't get to go to somebody's house anymore or your parents or your kids just turn their back. I'm with you. Keep loving them like I love them. I know you think they're so wicked they can never be saved, right? So were you and so was I. While I was yet a sinner, God did this to me. All right, let's keep moving. So, um, great commandment, great commission, great commissions. Well, you know what? 
Not only is that not in the Bible, Great Commission, there are four other ones. And they, if we read them all together, they kind of fill out the whole picture. So let's just do that real quick. Next commission. And Jesus said, he's just walked through a door. The disciples are scared to death. Of course, he says, because they thought, oh, no, here's Jesus. I've been afraid of the Romans. Now the Son of God, who we, who we ran away from and left by himself, has just showed up in the room. I'm a little nervous. May peace be with you. Now, here it is. Simple. The Father has sent me, so now I'm sending you. And you know what's crazy? You know, sometimes you think I've got to be at a certain level of maturity to be able to do this. Peter's in the room. He just called a curse down and denied Jesus three times. He's now a scaredy cat hiding behind a locked door because he's afraid of the temple police and the Roman soldiers. The, the, they've already come back and knocked on the door and said, he's risen. And now they're scared because the risen Christ, because if you read your Old Testament, when he comes back, he's going to clean house. And they've been bad boys. They're afraid of everything, everything imaginable, mainly afraid of God because he's here. And we, we ran away. Peter, I betrayed. I called down a curse on myself. I so betrayed him and walked away from even the knowledge of him. Listen, you feeling guilty, too guilty to be able to do the Great Commission, the Great Commandment? Peace. If we were in Colombia, we'd say tranquilo. Peace. If it happened to them, and Jesus said, I haven't given up on you. God sent me to you. I'm sending you to them. You don't have to be at a certain place. You have to be a Christian. That'd be a novel idea. But you don't have to be perfect. Good news, because we never are. Let's read the next one. He said to them, go into all the world. Preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. But anyone who does not believe will be punished. Let's look at the next one. Then he opened their minds so they could understand scriptures. He told them, this is what was written. The Messiah will suffer. He will rise from the dead on the third day. His followers will preach in his name. They will tell others to turn away from their sins and be forgiven. People from every nation will hear it, beginning at Jerusalem. Two more. Next. You've seen these things with your own eyes. I'm going to send you what the Father has promised. But for now, stay in the city. Stay here until you've received power from heaven. Next one, last one. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Then you'll tell. You'll tell people about me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria. And you will even tell other people about me from one end of the earth to the other. So what have we discovered so far? Well, we've discovered three things. We've discovered something about the sender and his motive, the place, this wicked world, and the people. We've discovered the message, and we're going to talk about the method in a minute. So God so loved, he sent the Son, and he sent the Spirit now, Pentecost, Father and Son together. 
the place is a fallen and wicked world. Oh, and think of the Gospels and all the things Jesus did in the Gospels, and think as you read the book of Acts and all the things that happened in the book of Acts. Here's this wicked world, a fallen and a wicked world that had hostile elements, peace be still to the ocean, hostile animals. Jesus is in the desert 40 days and 40 nights with the lions and all the other wild animals. He had hostile cultures, Roman zealots, the people who wanted to overthrow the Romans and stab and murder and assassinate them together with the people that enjoyed the Romans and were collaborators like a tax collector was. Hostile false religions, hostile religions, hostile philosophies, and hostile people. Every one of us before we were saved. He doesn't come to someone who goes, oh, goody. He comes to somebody like me who said, I don't think so. I, I can remember the first time a buddy of mine got saved. This was the 70s, like 2,000 years ago. And, and, he, uh, and he was a Jesus freak. And he was my best friend. And I, couldn't, I just was not happy this happened. We were, go, we were supposed to go smoke weed together. And he's like, Jesus freak. I was so mad at him. So I persecuted him relentlessly. And he finally said, you want to come to church? And I did. And that night I got saved. <laughs> Which leads us to our method. Our method is simple. It really is. But it's very costly. Our method, our tone, our tenor, how, what, when, should match the message of grace, peace, and redemption. Yes. It's a method that doesn't matter if you're today, 2,000 years ago, or if the Lord tarries 2,000 years from now. If we make it to the moon or we go to Mars, the method will still be the same. It transcends time, transcends language, as we're discovering from what we just saw, all our ethnicities, whatever culture we're in, and subculture. Because even in this room, there are subcultures, right? Every culture, every form of government, whether or not you like the one we have now or don't like the one you have now, every form of government, any economy or lack thereof, any other barrier, anything that you and I can dream up and even things we can't see, principalities and powers that are really arrayed against us, not the guy next door in the next cube. Anything. So we're going to ask two questions now. Get out the old bracelet. What would Jesus do? And we're going to ask another, what would Paul do? Because how are we going to figure out the method unless we see what the Bible has to say about the people who had the commission directly to them? So we're going to run through this quick, but before we answer, we're going to go just a glance back to the Old Testament, and we're going to put on a new bracelet, what would God do? Let's look at Genesis 18, and we'll roll through these scriptures quickly. Talking about Abraham, he will certainly become a great and powerful nation. All nations on earth will be blessed because of him. I have chosen him. Think of the great commission of the word discipleship. He must direct his children to live in the way that pleases me. Think of your royal people, a holy nation, and disciple others to become disciple makers. He must direct the members of the family after him to do the same. We, we don't just disciple as a club to get us all feeling better. We disciple in such a way that other people can do it 
and it reproduces the method. That is the method. It's real simple, but it's really costly in times of time. And then here's another good snapshot. Even in the Old Testament, it's almost like the Bible was written by the same person. So he must guide all of them in doing what is right and fair. Then I, the Lord, will do for Abraham what I promised him. Next one. Paul calls this the gospel. Here's it. We are in Galatians. So you see, those who have faith are children of Abraham. Long ago, Scripture knew that God would make the Gentiles right with himself. He would do this by their faith in him. He announced the good news, and we've already covered the message. We had an entire sermon in this series related to the gospel, so we know what that is. He'll announce the good news ahead of time to Abraham. God said, all nations will be blessed because of you. See the little, word, see the little Genesis things? That's the nice thing about this version. If there's an Old Testament scripture, it sends you right to it. You can look it up. But back to this. So those who depend on faith are blessed along with Abraham. So what we read in Genesis 18, Paul calls in Galatians a precursor, a preview, a snapshot, a nod. He preached the gospel in advance. And if you notice, part of preaching the gospel was the method. Teach them and guide everybody to do the same. Faith or works? No, it's both. If you have faith, works will follow. You don't do works to get faith because God has already accepted you. He empowers you through the Holy Spirit to do works to include the great commandment. So let's look at our last Old Testament scripture. It fits right into all the Christmas decorations that have come up. The Lord formed me in my mother's body to be a servant. He wanted me to bring the family of Jacob back to him. That's what Jesus did. He wanted me to gather the people of Israel to himself. The Lord will honor me. My God will give me strength. Here is what the Lord says to me. It's not enough for you as my servant to bring the tribes of Jacob back to their land. It's not enough for you to bring back the people of Israel. I've kept alive. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles. If you're not of Jewish descent, we can all just go, praise God. We're in. Then you will make it possible for the whole world to be saved. Now look at Acts. Here's the outworking of that. This is what the Lord has commanded us to do. He said, I made you a light for the Gentiles. You'll bring salvation to the whole earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad. They honored the word of the Lord. And all who were appointed for eternal life believed. It's not a method to make someone do something. It's saying the right things when led by the Spirit in the power of the Spirit and just standing back. I, you don't change anyone's heart. If you've been a parent for 15 minutes, you already know that statement. How do we see God at work? Well, I love this quote from this one author. Here's the whole Old Testament summed up in a, in a sentence. God's mission involves God's people living in God's way in the sight of the nations. So you were, there was a lot of ways you came in, but primarily, near exclusively, you came into the Old Covenant by birth. And then what happened? You were circumcised if you were a male. And then what happened? You were taught the law and the prophets, and you were called to obey the commandments contained therein. 
And then what happened? You sinned. Well, guess what? There were the sacrifices. Let's fast forward to the new covenant. You're born again. You're marked with baptism, replacing circumcision. And you're still called, Jesus said, teach them to obey all I have commanded them. And now you don't just live in the sight of the nations. You go in and penetrate the nations. It's a new covenant, but boy, it's, it's not covenant renewal. It's a new covenant, but it has its roots deep in the old. So let's go back to Jesus. I got to speed up. What would Jesus do? Let's roll through these verses, and I'll try and shut up and not comment on them. Jesus said, Samaritan woman, the boys come up. They're like, what's he doing? He's talking to a Samaritan. He's talking to a Samaritan woman for crying out loud. Anybody give him any food? Should we have brought food? Jesus goes, I love the disciples, particularly in the book of Mark. They give me such hope for my life, okay? Oh, back up one, sorry. There we go. Jesus said, check this out. Discipleship. My food is to do what the Father sent me to do. What sustains me and what satisfies me? The feast is doing what my Father sent me to do. My food. And, and this should be our food because it's not done yet. He finished on the cross. But there was a mission post the cross. Welcome to Acts. And so what should be what sustains us and is our food? To do what we've been sent to do to finish all nations being penetrated with the gospel having the same opportunity because he's not sending us into the world to condemn the world. We're continuing the mission of Jesus to save the world. And like Jesus, not everybody will respond because it's a hostile world. And when we encounter that hostility, like Peter in 1 Peter says, don't be surprised. I'm with you always to the very end. I need to hear that, don't you? When you've lost friends and relatives, won't you talk to you anymore? You get mocked incessantly like I did my buddy Ed? Whew. What would Paul do? Let's go, Paul. Then pe- oh, sorry, we got one more. Jesus reached out to some more people. A Gadarene demoniac. That's as pagan as you can get. A guy so filled with demons, he breaks change and runs everybody off. It's okay, though, because he just hangs out with the pigs and lives in the tombs. He's the first guy you'd want to go. He's the scariest person you could ever imagine. The people began to beg Jesus to leave their area. Why? Because he healed the guy, yanked out all the demons. Oh, no. Jesus was getting into the boat. The man who'd been controlled by demons begged to go with him. Jesus... Wait a minute, great commission? Jesus did not let him. Oh, he told him to go, and in a way that we think differently than the commission always requires. There's two sides to this coin. Go, but in this case, go home. Yeah. It, it, Lord, can I go with you? No, you're out here. You're, the village is a little far away. That's why I'm telling you go. It's out here. Don't live in the graveyard anymore. Go home and tell all these people you were crazy Eddie 
And, and now you got to go home and people are going to go, dude, what happened to you? Right. And what did he tell them? No, this is, this is crazy. Tell them well, how much the Lord's done for you. Tell them how kind God has been to you. So the man went away. In the area known as the Ten Cities, he began to tell how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Next, next slide. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Centurion. Okay, it would be as if you're in Poland and the Germans kicked in the door in the late 30s. And now a, SS, a Waffen SS officer comes to Jesus who's ministering in your town and we're all waiting to go to the camp. And Jesus goes, I haven't seen faith like this Waffen SS soldier, a commander, he's an officer. He loads up the trains. I haven't seen faith like this amongst all of God's people. The most likely candidate, the most, we think, wicked person possible, we just haven't looked in the mirror enough. The most wicked person what I'm about to tell you is true. In Israel, I've not found anyone whose faith is so strong. I say to you that many will come. Oh, and think how this sounded. Many will come from the east and west. They will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. They'll sit with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's a Waffen SS soldier loading Jews. But those who think they belong in the kingdom will be thrown outside in a darkness. They'll weep and grind their teeth. And Jesus said to the guy himself, the commander, go. It will be done for you just as you believed it would. And a servant was healed at that moment. The most unlikely people he sends us to, the most difficult people he sends us to. Now let's go to where Paul is. Thank you. What would Paul do? Next slide. After all, what is Apollos? Now, I want you to watch carefully because this is what discipleship looks like. This is the method right here. What is Paul? We're only people who serve. We helped you to believe. The Lord has given each of us our own work to do. I planted, teach, baptize, teach. I planted the seed. Apollos watered it. But God has been making it grow. So the one who plants is not important. The one who waters is not important. See, we can be scared. We can be, we can be, we can be whatever it is. If we just remember that we're just not important. It's essential. We've been commanded. But we're not important. Well, my grandfather was on his deathbed. I had shared the gospel with him years before. My grandmother said, you were the only one, except for little Enoch, a Methodist circuit-riding preacher, who never spoke to him like that. And I'm thinking, spoke to him like that? I just shared the gospel. No, no. Why? When I leaned into my granddad a couple of years before and started just talking to him about Jesus, because after all, he knew Jimmy was a preacher, so he expected it. And, and as I leaned in, my mom and grandmother got out of the room because they didn't, they, they didn't know if the Gadarene demoniac was going to start up. Because nobody talked to my grandfather about that. How about that? 
And I plucked up my courage and did. When he laid on his deathbed, I didn't. When I, by the time I got there, he was in a coma, and I just prayed for him. And, uh, and I didn't. And, you know, you could feel guilty for not getting that one last time in. But really, I just do the job that's been assigned to me, and I stuck that seed in, and I'm not important. And God does all the work, and God will make it grow, and God can make it happen. I mean, he saved me. He can save my granddad. If you're not doing it based on guilt, you'll do it more often. You just kind of realize we're not that important. We're just not. <laughs> All right, keep going. Paul stayed in Corinth for some time. Now, this is the Apollo Paul. This is the, this is the backstory behind that scripture. Paul stayed in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria. Priscilla and Aquila went with them. Before he sailed, he had his, okay, keep going, keep going. They arrived at Ephesus. At Ephesus. There Paul said goodbye to Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and talked with the Jews. Paul said, oh, that's all right. At that time, a Jew named Apollos came to Ephesus. He was an educated man from Alexandria. Whoa. He came to Turkey. No, he came from Egypt, and he came over to Macedonia, Greece. And he was an educated man from the, the intelligentsia capital of the world back then, besides Athens. And he's Apollos. And look what happens. He knew the scriptures very well. Apollos had been taught the way of the Lord. He spoke with great power. He taught the truth about Jesus. However, he only knew about John's baptism. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. Here's why I included this verse. Ladies, this verse is for you. Remember how we talked about men are elders, but women can do all kinds of things in the church? Here we go. Great commission. Here was the, the discipleship. The man from Alexandria. Priscilla, some of, your, some of your versions say Prisca, and Aquila heard him. So these two folks in the congregation are like, huh, hey, honey. Yeah, dear. Uh, he ain't got that quite right. He's really good. But what do you think? We need to invite him home. You sure, Priscilla? Yeah. No, Aquila, serious. Go invite him home. I shouldn't go, culturally, I shouldn't go ask him that. But you go invite him house. And then when I get him home, and we're there, and we're eating, listen, I'll fill him in. And Aquila goes, yeah, you know what? You're a little brighter than me, and you say this better than me. So we're both tent makers. We've hung with Paul. He just left us, and we got this guy. And see, in the New Testament, you don't see a lady's name first. That's there on purpose. Ladies, you can be just as effective a disciple maker as any guy in this room. And for some people, you'll be more effective. Don't, don't, if you're married, don't just say, that's my hubby. If you're single, say, I don't have, I'm not married. I, I don't, no, 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 no. Just look right there. And we could expand the list in the New Testament. Right there. They invited him. They gave him, with her lead, a better understanding of the way of God. So how do we see Jesus and Paul at work in the Gospels? We'll keep scooching through that one. Oh, okay. Um, Hmm. 
let me you leave that right there. We had a little glitch today, and it was uh, my bad. So what do we learn? What are we learning up to now? We're close to the end. What did Paul and Jesus do that we could learn from? Well, they taught in the synagogue. They taught outside. They taught at social events. They taught in private homes. Paul taught in palaces. They taught while walking along the road, day-to-day life. They taught in the temple. They spoke to the most learned people in Roman and Greek culture. Paul actually talked to the head of government, Caesar. They talked to guards. They talked to jailers in this wicked world. They taught using irony, humor, sarcasm. They taught using parables. So people would have to ask more questions, and if they didn't, you just walk away. They taught in metaphors. The kingdom of God is like a treasure. They taught in plain speech. They had some really difficult things to say sometimes as well. They taught in difficult speech. They answered questions from friends and from foes. They, here's the crux of the whole way to do discipleship. You want to hear the method? They simply interacted with the person or the people that God put in front of them. Or the people God led to them then to do during times of prayer. You want the great commandment in a nutshell? Whoever God brings your way and impresses you to do it, the power of the Spirit, because you already got the gospel, you now know the method. There's a whole bunch of ways it can be done. If they're in front of you, outside, inside, at a party, at a wedding, as a king, as a judge, as a police officer, as a Roman centurion, your next-door neighbor, cashier at the register, what, 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 I, I don't just, God will give you the nudge and take that little baby step. that's it. But their interactions were by design. See if this sounds familiar. Jesus and Paul did actions. They gave examples, and they explained why they did what they did. Um, Live the gospel. Share it if need be. You know what? That can get some derision sometimes, but that's really good. Live the gospel. And then take directive action to explain. When you see someone go, that guy just cussed you out at work, and what's, what's up with that? Oh, well, that's because. They, their interactions further revealed God's love and character. They lived their lives in a way and then explained why they were living that way and then challenged people that, hey, the reason I'm like this is because God has been kind to me. If you'd have known me 20 years ago, and then people go, what did God do for you? Oh, well, let me tell you some more. Oh, well, then what? Well, I, I, had, to re- I had to repent. I had to, be- well, do, you, do you want to do that? No, okay, no sweat. But you got any questions, let's talk later. Or it doesn't always have to be that long of a conversation. Oh, and then we do that with the people in the building. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, dude, I I was really struggling with this on on the net last night. Oh, man, I tell you what. That's not how it looks for me right now, but (laughs) in 1986, that was my life. 
I was a slave to that. I mean, an absolute slave. Almost ditched my marriage. Oh, yeah, my daughter didn't know me the first three years of her life because I was a slave to that. I looked at everything, and, and I hid on everything with hair longer than me. I was a slave to that. And here's how God changed me. Really? Yeah. You, listen, let's go grab here. I, I guess it has to be a cup of coffee, but let's go grab a cup of coffee. Let's go to the Waffle House and uh, grab a cup of bad coffee and, 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 just, and just sit down and talk about it at 2 in the morning. And what do we talk about? We talk about how to live out the words that Jesus commanded us to share and how the epistles explain those words and put them into life. That, that's how you do it. Let's ask just a few more questions. What would Trinity do? Okay. What do we do here at Trinity? So are you saying that traditional and short-term missionary verses are not biblical? Oh, of course not. They are, they are biblical. God serves wherever we go. Yep, exactly. So are traditional and short-term missionary ventures? Are traditional and short-term mission ventures? Biblical? Absolutely. Don't worry about it. Welcome. Jesus in the synagogue. Are they biblical? Absolutely. Do I need to? I mean, when he sent the 72, that was kind of biblical. That was a short-term mission. Do I need to go? Perhaps. Most don't, and that's okay. But by the way, here's the good news I have for you about should I go, should I go, should I go? The nations have already come to us. Doesn't matter what you do or do not feel about immigration, where you are on that side. The nations are here. Goodness, we can plant a church in we can plant a church in Brazil tomorrow morning, and we don't have to leave the country. Just send somebody to Windermere. It's true. You want to plant a church in Mexico? Oh, let's plant one in the country. But if you don't feel like leaving the country, go to Kissimmee. You want to plant a church to uh, a territory in the United States called Puerto Rico, but you just hate hurricanes and you don't speak Spanish? I got good news for you. We can plant a Spanglish church in East Orange County tomorrow morning. They've come to us. They've come to us. So whether or, wherever you find yourself, Jungle Village or Vieira, urban Moscow or out in Mims, don't wait to grow more before you begin an adventure of obedience. Baby steps, here's the easy one. Let's go to this one and I'm done. Deliberately doing spiritual good to someone so that he or she will be more like Christ. The great commandment, baby step, any of us can do this this afternoon over a meal at Sonny's. It's not always evangelism. Discipleship, we're all called to disciple each other. We're all called to deliberately do spiritual good. So let me end, and I'll just read it so we don't have to put it on there. Let me end with a great command. So, you must go and make disciples of all nations, 
baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And you can be sure that I'm always with you. No matter how hard, no matter how scared, no matter how much you fail, no matter how much you disobey, no matter if you're too weak or too old or your mind doesn't work as good as it used to or your legs don't work like or you just don't have anything to really offer or because you're poor or because you're... I'm with you always to the very end. Band, come on up and I'll pray. Father, um, help us. Lord, all of us have seasons where this is just hard. It's still hard for me, and I've been doing it a long time professionally. Lord, I'm as, I'm as afraid of how I'll look as the next person. I don't want to fail. I don't want to fail them either. I want to get it right and make sure I have it, the whole sales pitch down perfect instead of just sharing how God's been kind to me and what that looked like and why. Lord, help us, we pray. And then with each other, Lord, it's not just new believers. It's not just evangelism. The Great Commission is to disciple each other and to figure out, Lord, when we come here on a Sunday or a group or just see each other at Publix, what good can I do on purpose? to my brother and sister in Christ that helps them along the way, whether or not that's kindness, sharing a struggle I'm having, or helping them with theirs. Help us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, I went too long. (laughs) 